Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. So it is July 1st. Welcome to July. Our theme this month is adapting to shifting markets. Here on the podcast, we'll be talking to all of our guests about it, and you can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am looking forward to the discussion today. This should be a really fun interview. Today's guest is a U.S. Air Force veteran who, after he left the service, has worked in a number of different startups. He recently decided he might want to maybe semi-retire, and he moved from the Northeast, where I am, all the way down to beautiful South Carolina. And like most serial entrepreneurs I know, he couldn't exactly stick to that semi-retirement. He uh, got a little bit maybe bored and got some ideas and started an exciting new business that's quite interesting, which is why I'm talking to him. He is the CEO of Omadim, and his name is Greg Dickinson. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Greg. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Glad to be here. It's a great podcast. Thank you for that. I know I just covered kind of the highlights of your bio, but could you introduce yourself a little bit more to our listeners so they learn who you are? Certainly. My name is Greg Dickinson, and yes, I'm in uh, sunny South Carolina today, just outside Greenville, and I did get my start in the United States Air Force. Uh, The technical bug bit me. I got a degree in computer science while I was in the Air Force, and from that point forward, I was just amazed by how you could take you know, a bunch of ideas and translate that, that translate that into software. And so I, I started a bunch of different companies. I, I joined Ariba when it was early on. Um, and then I went off and did two other startups, uh, did another one called Hyperos that was in the risk management space. And uh, as Elizabeth said, uh, about two years ago, when I came down here, I thought I would uh, do some other things, but I missed software. I missed collaboration. I missed customers. So um, I, I put together some ideas with my new business, Amadim. So um, that's kind of a Greg in a nutshell, all about uh, you know working with customers and 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 making software uh, benefit uh, those customers. Definitely. So um, as you know, this is a sales oriented podcast, business oriented, but sales as well. Um, and so you've had some involvement in sales, and really anybody who gets involved in startups has to have some passion for sales because you're always kind of selling your idea. So can you talk to us a little bit about when your passion for marketing or sales or business really began and kind of how you've progressed along that journey, maybe something you've learned about sales? Yeah, so it it, it all began when I was with a, 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 we were a computer reseller in the early 90s and we developed e-commerce technology to kind of be competitive, to survive because we were a small company. And it, you know, my... I ran the, the IT department, but the, the owner of the company said, well, Greg, come on the road with me. We're going to go talk to these other businesses about this e-commerce platform that you've developed. And I kind of was really interesting to go meet um, other people. And then I read an article about a company called Ariba, and it was very small at the time when I joined. We were, I think I was employee number 40, so it was a very small startup out of Silicon Valley. And you know, they were focused in on, you know, on enterprise sales, and, and that was really my kind of introduction. I really 
didn't know a lot about enterprise sales. I'd worked, you know, A, Air Force and B, PC Net. So mm -hmm. um, that's where I kind of got the introduction to some great, great, great players that have really done well and had done well in the enterprise sales world. And so that, you know, I, I started off as a pre-sales engineer, which in a minute we'll come back to that from, you know, from Amadim and what we're doing here. But uh, I, I was, you know, I loved it. I was, you know, it's like being paid to be an actor. You go out and, and, and you visit your customers and you have to make that software dance and you're at the keyboards and you're getting the software to function and, and, and show the customers how it can help them and how it can make their, their jobs better. So that really, it bit me. I really enjoyed that and, and, and um, was lucky enough to, to meet with and work with some, you know, consummate professionals that allowed me to work with them as a pre-sales person. And, you know, from there, my, my, my career blossomed. I went on to, to run all of pre-sales at, at Ariba. And then I went on to run, um, when I left in 2004, I was running all of North American sales. So, you know, you could say that I, you know, was, was, was fortunate enough to have a job that was kind of like a hobby, right? I enjoyed doing it mm -hmm. and I've never, never stopped, right? I think it's just all about, you know, selling has in some cases a bad name, but I think it's all about how do I explain to Elizabeth how, the, the software we have can make your life better as an example, right? And and there's nothing wrong with that. So really passionate about that journey. Definitely. I love a couple of things that you said there. For a second, I want to just kind of sit on that last thing um, because so many people have what we at CFS call head trash about sales. They hear sales and they think it's a dirty word. And what we like to think is that sales is enabling buying. And when you do that, you're helping somebody. If I need to buy something and you as a salesperson can, salesperson can help me make the best decision for me and my business, you've saved me time. Maybe you're saving me money. Um, you're making my life better. I appreciate that. Um, and so we have this idea sometimes that sales is all about like pushing something that people don't need to them. But actually what effective sales should be is helping people find something that is the best fit for them. And like you said, making their lives better. And if you are doing the kind of sales that is things that people don't need or want, that's one thing. And that I can understand why that might feel a little dirty or a little uncomfortable. But if you're selling any sort of a, a good like business solution that's actually helping people solve problems, why wouldn't you want to get out there and solve the most problems for the most people? And by the way, make yourself some money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, you know, I think it's it, Elizabeth hit the nail on the head, right? It, it, they're, they're, let's not kid ourselves. There are some, you know, people that, that call themselves salespeople that are actually, you know, trying to push something on you you may not need, right? And convince you and take advantage, right? But but I think a good professional B two B, you know, kind of a salesperson is is someone that understands you have a buyer's journey, mm -hmm. and their job is to keep you kind of in the guardrails and help you to be very efficient and effective with your time. You're busy. You have a job. You have a business to run or you are a part of an organization. And so a good salesperson is able to say, let me interject and help Elizabeth through that buyer's journey and get her information that she needs in order to make the best informed decision. And of course, right, I want that decision to be about my, my software or my company, but that's all about helping her to, 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 to see how my particular product is best, right? To solve 
your defined problem. And I think if, if you approach it that way and you approach that it's a relationship, you got to know somebody, you're there to kind of quote unquote, you know, help them and guide them through their buyer's journey. And I say that purposely buyer's journey, because I think mm-hmm. today we find a, a, a lot more of the quote unquote world that, that we live in is more buyer driven than it is quote unquote sales driven, right? Enterprise sales was, you know, very, very, prominent and and like the only way to sell in the 90s and then you know content marketing came into play and inbound you know sales happened but now you you see more and more of the consumerization right of the of the business person and they gosh expect business to be if you want an app you go to your phone if you want to learn about a car you go online if you want to book a, a a vacation you go online you do a lot of work well that's your buyer's journey and the salesperson a good one right will help you along that journey with the information at the right time definitely and i would imagine that some of that philosophy that you have some of that that vision that you have around that um, might come from the technical background that you have and, and being a pre-sales engineer. A lot of times when we talk to our clients, um, we'll ask people, what is your perception of who makes a good salesperson, right? And we'll hear things like, you know, I want them to be super confident and they need to be really good at kind of talking and explaining key concepts. And sometimes they have this idea that somebody who has a more techie, a more engineering background, isn't going to have that kind of like glitz, maybe, that, that they think that they need out of sales. But then come to find out, um, sometimes we see that uh, a lot of our clients, some of their top salespeople have a more engineering technical focus and history. And they're approaching things a lot of times very kind of systematically. And if you, if you learned... Um, programming. A lot of times you're learning a lot about solving problems and, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to accomplish something. And it's a very kind of problem focused mindset, which can translate really easily into sales. And so we see actually some great salespeople um, might have come up through a technology side of things. And that's not always the vision that people think of the history of a salesperson. I agree. It was one time at, uh, at one of the clubs when I was running sales before um, we had our our, our 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 club meeting, I had my executive assistant go out and, and get the through HR the the college degree of every salesperson. There was about eighty mm-hmm. that and pre sales and 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 when we had the 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 club, and I, I everyone's honest, I I kind of said that I said you know it's kind of interesting. There is no college degree for sales. There's no, no such thing. I, I got a bachelor's degree in selling. That no such thing. So. Just for you and the audience, you know, and on my team, let me let me give you a few anecdotes. And you know, one of the, uh, one of them was a nuclear engineer. A handful were mechanical engineers, chemical engineers. There, you know, technical writing had gone to school for journalism, and and, and you know, very few were in the marketing world where mm-hmm. they went to school for marketing or business and became salesmen. So I think you're right. Is that, it, you know. It, if you're selling something to somebody and your job is to hear what they have to say, translate that into your product and how your product solves that problem, that is a troubleshooting mind. That's a person that can think through that problem and say, wow, they're trying to lower my cost of sale, their cost of sale. Does our software do that? How could it do that? And you're problem solving, right? You're you're taking what they have as their perceived problem. And sometimes their perceived problem is not really the problem. So you have to get them to 
understand that. So I, I could agree with you more that that oftentimes I, I find that those that are, you know, in, in, in that area of technical delivery people sometimes, uh, you know, make a good uh, a good person that can help, right, that customer. Um, and I think that slick, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of TV, right, and, 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 and kind of uh, a persona of a salesperson is, is, is only on TV, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't see that in real life. Or if you do, they're generally not the top rep at any at any company. Bingo. Bingo. All right. So you've touched a little on Amadem, but um, so, you know, in July, I talked about in the intro, we're talking about adapting to shifting markets. And the reason that we included you in our podcast slot for July is that Amadem is really all about meeting the needs of the changing market. Um, and it's talking about some of the things that you've already touched on. So can you tell our listeners about your company and how it really applies and kind of meets buyers where they are right now? Yes, yes, certainly. Thank you for that. So so we I, I kind of started this business because there was a, a, my, my background in pre-sales. And if I, I looked at the, the B2B market and the only area that had zero, none, very small amount of investment in all of marketing and all of sales tech and all of marketing tech was the demo, right? If you want a, a, if you want a demo of someone's product, mm-hmm. typically you go request a demo on the website. What happens? We all know. Elizabeth just cringed because we all do because we know that <laughs> form just popped up. And, you know, the, the form is filled out and then down the road a day, two days, or the, you know, Harvard did a study and said five days is the average that they get back to you. So I said, you know, if you think about being a software company, people are coming to your website because they want your software. They're not there to read your copy. They're not there because you're a marketing agency. They're there to see your product. So is there a way that we can enable that buyer who, by the way, we all know wants to be self-educated. The buyers today want to do a lot more education on their own. You can Pick your number, 57, 65, 70% of the buying journey is done before they want to read the sales. So I kind of had a problem. And coincidentally, my boys who were going to college came home and said, Dad, we had these online classes and they're recorded. Is there any way you can search those recordings? And kind of the bell went off and the lights went off. And I said, wow, if I could figure out a way to allow a company to record their digital assets, right? A video, a webinar, a podcast, a sales pitch. And then allow the buyer to engage with that and search inside the video. It would be kind of like taking YouTube and putting Alexa on top of it, where you could have a conversation with a video and ask a question, does your software do reporting? And it would bring you to the right video and the right section. And I and I really felt that the the changing of the buyer, the the notion, you know, statistically, you know, Gartner says seventy seven percent of all, you know, people say that their their experience in the sales process is is fraught with friction. Um, you look at that, you know, the, the bounce rate of requested demo is eighty five percent according to HubSpot across the industry. No one wants to fill out a form, right? They they don't want to engage with your selling team at that particular moment in the sales cycle so that's the the problem we're trying to solve from the marketing all the way down to you know more and more demos are required uh, because product led trials freemium models that the phone the app 
experience we have and we bring that to work and we want to see the product right away we want to we want to use that product experience as a criteria so how do salespeople how can they possibly scale by giving one-on-one demos they can't it's impossible mm-hmm. cost of acquisition is going up too high because of it so we've introduced a technology that we call a conversation intelligent conversational video that allows that buyer at the top of the funnel to give themselves their own demo do their own self-discovery ask their own questions consume that content via a, a, a product uh, uh, phrases questions or we have this notion of recommended questions where elizabeth could lay out a path for that particular buyer because some like to browse content so that's what we're doing you know all because of the fact that the buyer is fundamentally different um, than it was 10 15 years ago and yet most companies today are built for that buyer that was coming at you 15 years ago I absolutely love that. Um, when I saw your name in, uh, in preparation for the interview and started to research Amadem, I really thought about um, all of the pain that I've had requesting demos and the pain and tribulation that we've had trying to get people to demo our stuff. Um, and we see those exact same problems you have. We have so many people that sign up and request a demo and we'll follow up even within 12 to 24 hours and then they don't ever follow up because they were in the mood for a demo when they requested the demo. And then 12 to 24 hours later, or like you said, up to sometimes five days later, they're thinking about something else. That was the moment that they were engaged and interested in your product or your service. And by the time you hear, you hear back, they're caught up in something else, solving some other problem and they moved away from it. And yeah, so, there was a, a study I just read uh, about a month ago that um, Harvard did in conduction, and, and they said that if you don't respond to a buyer, right, within five minutes, whether that's, you know, they responded to an email or they're on your website, if you don't do it within five minutes, you're like, you're a hundred times less likely to land them as a prospect if you take more than five minutes. Elizabeth, think about Every company that you work with, who responds to a, anything in five minutes, right? So you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Your buyer is on your website. They had a problem. They researched you. They found you. They, they, they had information. They are engaged reading, and they go, wow, I'd like to see the product. They click on request a demo, boom. Most leave right then and don't even give you the opportunity to, to follow up. But if they do fill out the form, 15% of them, then you know they said that the average um, uh, response is 47 hours, 47 hours. Holy mackerel. I mean, that's not even close to five minutes, right? So absolutely. It's like, it's like, um, if you look at traffic, um, when you think of shifting markets, retail stores are really struggling right now, but let's say I did some research. I followed the normal buyer journey right now. And I looked online and I tried to kind of figure things out, um, figure out the best thing I could buy. And then I walked into a store and they ignored me for 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that yeah, way. <laughs> we have a little skit we, 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 we put together when we first started the company that said, think about this. If you walked into an Apple store and all those glitzy, glittery devices were no longer on the tables, no longer on the walls, no longer on the shelves that Elizabeth and Greg could walk up and touch and play with and, 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 and experience. Instead, they were locked behind a cabinet and we said, Elizabeth, please fill out this form and we'll get back to you to show you the product. We'd all be using Androids right now. 
I mean, definitely. You know, that that's the market, and I, you know, I, I tell this, I tell this often when I'm asked to, you know, do speaking engagements. Is if you think about these three examples that really bring this home, let's think of Uber, the yellow cab in New York City, and Uber are the exact same ride. They get you from the airport to your meeting, from your meeting to your hotel. Uber made the buying experience easier, and look how they've won the market. Netflix and Blockbuster. Same movie, right? It's the same movie, but Netflix made the buying experience much easier. And you can argue the same with Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's the same book, it's the same product. But what they focused on is this fact that the buyer wants things now. They expect to have, they'll buy from companies that have the least amount of friction. Uh, you know, I have nothing against yellow cabs in New York. I've taken them all my life, but it's a lot easier to pick up my phone on the way out of the building, push a button and know the car is going to be there in the next three to five minutes versus when is the cab going to get there? And by the way, who do I call? Do I stand out in the curb with my hand up like everyone else? That's not a great, pleasant experience. But, you know, that's where we are today. If you can point to example after example of where the, the, the friction of the buying process has been removed. And those companies are winning. And frankly, there's going to be winners and losers, in my opinion, that, that can move right in that direction. Definitely. Um, it's just as time goes by, we're all less patient. You know, there's, I, I think there's just more available. There's more information all the time. There are more things that I feel like I should have read that I'm not reading. There are more podcasts that I'm subscribed to than I have time to listen to. There's always just so much going on. And so if in a moment I am interested in something and I want to learn about that thing, or I want to do that thing, or I want to solve that problem, that is the moment when you need to capture me. It's so interesting. Um, one of my previous podcast guests that I spoke to, and this was, I believe it was Craig Elias for listeners, but I will make sure to include the right note um, in, um, in the podcast show notes. Uh, he had founded a business that was all about getting, um, getting customers finding people at the moment that they're interested in switching from their current vendor to somebody else. Because we spend so much of our time and energy trying to sell to people when they're not in buying mode. Yeah. And there are brief moments that they're in buying modes. And so yeah. one of those is when I just had a big problem with my other vendor. And then what am I going to do? I'm either going to call somebody or I'm going to go online and do some research. And then I might say, let me get a demo of my potential solver of the problem. And oops, I can't do that. Or even, um, you know, related to the video search, I'm, I'm interested in solving a problem. I go and I see that there are 50 different videos available and I don't know what video I need to watch or where in that video. You know, I see a video and it's 40 minutes long. I don't have 40 minutes to see. I've got 10 you minutes don't. to figure out no. the answer to my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why, the, you know, the, the statistic that, that comes out from YouTube is the, the average watch time on YouTube is two minutes and 37 seconds. 68% mm -hmm. of all searches on YouTube are how-tos. We are thirsty, right, for information because we've become, you know, the, the, the technological advances that are there have made us much more self-efficient, right? And we, But when we don't, we can't do something or can't solve something, we wish we could do it all on our own, but we can't, we look for information. But to your point, there are so many avenues, so many channels for someone to learn. They say that, 
if you're you know in a particular market and you're trying to get information there are 12 different channels from blogs to podcasts to webinars to you know uh, g2 crowd right different different subscription services you can get the gartners the foresters etc there's 12 channels of information so if you don't get what you're looking for in a you go to b quickly and you go to c and then d and your attention span moves on and if another company is beginning to educate elizabeth because she wants to solve that problem she's getting ready to swap and they get you at the right time and they begin to help you and they begin to guide you and they give you an ability to self-learn and to engage then guess what as long as that process continues there's according to the research by inside sales the first one that can grab elizabeth's attention 35 to 40 percent of all decisions are made by that first one first one in so gosh be fast Absolutely. Um, because a lot of times the first thing you see is the standard that you're measuring everything after against. So even if maybe you're required within your buying process to always have three potentials or something that you're evaluating, the first one you see sets that standard. And so if you're the one who can be first, you're the one who's going to prompt all the questions that somebody's going to ask. And if your product is just as good or better than everybody else, everyone else is going to look um, look worse compared to what they saw first. So yep, um, it's yep. just so important to be that trusted subject matter expert that's not a library, that's not, um, you know, making it really onerous for me. I'm thinking back, um, we have uh, a number of different um, vendors that have various content libraries, and I will not name the vendor, but I will say it was a phone company. Um, most people might guess which one it is, but I went to learn something about setting up um, our uh, a complicated kind of phone product uh, service um, with our main number and ringing on people's phones and all that fun stuff. And I went into their training library, and I'm not kidding, there were hundreds of links to videos the names did not make any sense to me. And I had absolutely no idea where to start. And if I could have searched in those videos for yeah. the specific thing, I, I, because I had to solve the problem and they were a vendor, unfortunately I was stuck. And I just sat watching tons and tons and tons yeah. of videos that weren't addressing the problem that I had. And so even, um, you know, outside the buying process, just to improve the customer experience, having things like searchable videos and intelligent conversational videos can just drive such better um, both prospect and customer interaction. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you, you, th that's the problem in a nutshell is that you, you pick any any enterprise software and you go to their, you know, their training section and there's 1,200, 1,800 videos and you do your best to find the right 20. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Here's your, here's your choices. Play, pause, fast forward, rewind. Well, you know, you're trying to watch something. It's really hard to figure that out with those commands. Instead, if you could say, show me, does your software allow a pivot table? Can I add an a, a, a index to this, to this chart? How do I add a chart? How do I do workflow? How do I do user? And it finds out of the 1,200 videos, the four or five videos that, that discuss that topic and then shows you, just like Google that we're very used to using, here's the sections. Our vision is that this starts with the demo, right, the selling process, but then implementation elizabeth they want to implement that on her own and not pay you know hourly rates you may want to do it well how do i assist her along her implementation journey with searchable video and then customer success and then support is a big one 60 percent of all tickets in a help desk are 
how do I do this? Because they don't want to go open up an SW and pay for that. Instead, they want to ask support. Hey, I'm stuck in your software. I'm trying to add a, a, another watcher to my workflow. How do I do that? Well, just let them access the video for heaven's sakes, right? And let them answer their question themselves because would you rather someone send you a manual for how to put together the gas grill or show you a video that you can say, I'm struggling with putting in this part. Here it is. I watch it for 10 seconds. I move on. Instead Definitely. of trying to fumble with the, you know, with the instructions. So you really are, you know, w- where things are going, especially, you know, my children are in their, you know, 20s. And listen, they don't, I- I'm surprised they passed college in reading because they don't <laughs> read anything. <laughs> they, they, everything is, dad, go watch this. Dad, go watch that. You should see this. That's the way they, you know, have, have, have grown up. So I think you're, you know, you're kind of, and the other thing that we do that helps that, that helps the buyer, the, 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 the seller is all that activity, all that conversation, we, we store that in a database. So now you understand the buyer intent. So when you do mm-hmm. engage with that buyer, you know, and using your name in vain here, but you know that Elizabeth came on, she looked at the product and she was interested in ROI or she was interested in financial metrics or she was interested in the technical side of the, of the product. So when I talk to Elizabeth, I don't have to start off at the generic high level 50,000 foot view, I can say, Elizabeth, I, I understand you were interested in ROI. Can, can I help you in any way? Right? So now the salesperson is in a position, he, he or she has some smart, some intelligence, some buyer signals to even make the relationship that you and I have even better because you respect that personalization that, holy mackerel, I just talked to Greg and Greg had information at his fingertips that is relevant to what I was looking for. He didn't try to start off at the top and say, well, if you were a bank, you'd be interested in this. Or if you were pharma, you'd be interested in this. He knew what it was that was what I was interested in as far as their product goes. So that helps both the buyer and the supplier to be more effective, more efficient. And to what we talked about earlier, how do we build that trust relationship so that I am a trusted advisor that's helping you make, in my case, the right decision. Definitely. That's so incredibly important is really just enabling salespeople to be, like you said, more effective, more efficient and be a better trusted partner. Um, Mm -hmm. I would imagine also one, one potential, uh, result of implementing a solution like yours would be as a business, figuring out which of our videos do overall people most care about, which add the most value. Wow. Everybody stops watching this one video after the first 30 seconds, either it's a bad video or we're, we've got a bad start. Um, and so you can learn about how do you make your demos and make your, your webinars and various other video better by seeing what content people most want to engage with. hundred percent. Right. So you can understand what they're asking, how long do they watch? What questions did they ask? What did they, are they a browser? Did they look at the, because our software will produce out of that audio, out of that video, it'll, it'll, it'll show all the phrases. So do they like browse the phrases, the, 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 the topics instead of searching, they didn't, they didn't want to search. They wanted, Oh, they, they looked at questions that were, that we built as the, as the seller and provided that roadmap, that GPS. Is that how they wanted to consume? Because we're all different, right? We all consume, you know, content in, 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 a, in a little different fashion. And that, you know, kind of helps that buying experience. And then you go back later and say, wow, we've been using the word. Uh, I, I, I did this guilty as charged. I made not one of our videos and I said, here's how you hook it up to your website. And mm-hmm. my team said, Greg, who, who's going to ask that question? 
how do you hook it up? Like, what, where, where, where'd you learn that? It's implementation. And, <laughs> and sure enough, right, no one asked that question. So we went back, and within five minutes, we just, you know, recorded another five-minute video that said, here's how you implement, you know, our, our software on your website. So you learn, you know, we all spend a lot of money in SEO trying to understand, well, how about if you, like, in your product, you understand what mm-hmm. that that buyer behavior is that in product, you know, information is, and where did they go? They went here. Then they asked this question. Then they asked this question. Oh, and then they shared it because they found that maybe their technical buyer would enjoy this experience as well. Isn't that good to know who the buying team is and who else was invited? So it all helps to, you know, kind of digitize, right? That, that process top of the funnel for the sales team and the marketing team. Definitely. Um, so at a big picture level, I think we've kind of started to talk about a bit of this, but I'd love to hear what's something that you've learned in the last few years that has really changed how you think about selling um, or maybe a specific lesson that you learned. Yeah, so I think it, it really is what we talked, uh, we've, we've hit on a, a few times, and that is this, this notion that um, the buyer you know, has changed forever, right? There, there's no going back. You can, you can look at the, what the cloud impact, you can look at the smartphone impact, but you know, maybe the buyer wanted to be, have things done their way 20 years ago, but they didn't have the power today. They do, right? It's, it's, it's much different today. So I think what I'm, what the lesson I've learned in creating Amadim two years ago versus my other five startups that I did is that I really need to make sure that we are listening and providing that information that 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 buyer can consume on their own because they're going to. And if we don't enable that process, they'll go someplace else. I'm mm-hmm. not the only one in the world. No company stands alone in the, you know, in, in, you know, look, there's 40 CRM packages. Everyone thinks there's one. There's not. There's a lot of everything, you know, out there. Um, and Price Intelligently did some some research in they're out of Boston, uh, out of 5,000 SaaS businesses. Five years ago, we all had three competitors. Today, we have on average 12, mm-hmm. right? So that buyer has a lot more choices, a lot more control. So that's the one, you know, and, it, and it, the lesson I learned, and, I, and I, uh, I have, I've heard this expression forever. Gartner said it, Forrester said it, that the buyer has finished, you name your number, 60 to 70% of their buying journey before they talk to sales and I, I always i heard it i always repeated it and it just in the last year dawned on me why that's important the reason it's important is if 70 percent of their buying education is done now they want to buy like all that's left of their journey is the buy so you better be ready to help them buy not be back in the hey let's do a discovery and let's ask you a bunch of questions because you're already past that and it really kind of crystallized in looking at some of the research that CEB did and Gartner around you know this journey and, and how much time a buyer actually spends with the vendor versus their internal buying team etc so that's one of the things that that I really learned is that I, I heard it and I've said it and I've repeated it but but I didn't really frankly like understand the relevance of what it meant until it was crystallized by that which is if they've done all that work, if you've done all your homework on the car, when you get to the car lot, you're looking to buy the car, not like figure out the safety features or does it allow <laughs> car seats in the et cetera, right? You're, you're there to test drive and buy. That, hap- that exact thing happened to me um, 
when I was going to a cell phone store and I just literally needed them to give me the phone and they wanted to ask me questions. I was like, no, I, I know which one I want. Thank you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. What's your so, usage? How many minutes a day do you have? How much data do you, you know, like, okay. Like, uh, see that dude, phone over there? I figured there? this all out. <laughs> all <laughs> right. So um, I don't know how much of a, a reader you are. I get the impression you might be one. Um, you've mentioned a lot of research. So what, if, what are some of your favorite sales or business growth books that you'd recommend to our listeners? So, I, I, yeah, I read uh, way too much. Um, I, you see, yeah, my, my, uh, my Kindle's probably got four or five loaded. Um, my, my favorite book of all time as a, as kind of as a, as a, as a leader, as a manager, if you will, as a dysfunctional team, it really is a, is an eye-opening book as to looking at your team and, 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 and how the interaction that team, you know, the, 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 the leader that has the best team wins, I think. So that was one, I, my old favorite crossing the chasm. I read it once a year. I, I, I read it, you know, 15 years ago. I read it, um, as often as I can. And then from a, Kind of an inspirational area. There's a bet a, a book that was uh, again on leadership. Make your bed. It was by um, Admiral oh, yeah. uh, McRaven. He he did a a really good. It's a, it's a quick read, but it just kind of really kind of talks about the uh, being a Navy SEAL and how he can kind of translate that into our daily lives and the good we can do for other people and how we can help. And I'm a big believer in that. And and that was really um, good. And then obviously from a selling perspective. Um, uh, influence uh, by Calini is is a, is incredible. You know, book and just trying to understand how you can you know uh, understand what people are really saying when they're talking to you and how you can help in that environment. So um, I could go on and on and on. I, <laughs> I, I I you know Michael Dell's book. I just I read I read all of Jack Welch's books. I'm just a big believer in if other people have done something, if I can learn and read the book and learn one thing. It drives my team crazy because I'll come back on a Monday morning and say, I just read this over the weekend <laughs> and, and it, could be, it could have been your podcast. It could have been a blog. It could have been a, you know, uh, something I heard and they're like, oh gosh, oh, boy. <laughs> another antidote, another fun fact from Greg. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That reminds that's me. That's how we um, learn, right? That's how we learn. Charles, uh, our CEO is in uh, CEO, um, uh, group called Vistage, which helps, um, it's kind of provides almost an external board for a lot of, um, medium to, to bigger businesses, but that are growing. And, um, there's a running joke within Vistage that let's say your Vistage meeting is Tuesday, that the team is terrified of Wednesdays because you're going to walk into the office with all the ideas you got from the speaker and from your other CEOs. So definitely the same thing. Monday is a dangerous day when you've got a reader of an entrepreneur. Um, all right. So there's so uh, many brilliant people out there that you can that you know, that, that you can learn from, and and I just you know as a you know serial entrepreneur and as a leader, I'm always paranoid, right? Am I doing the right things? Am I moving my company in the right direction? Are we doing everything we possibly can, you know, to 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 for our customers? I you know kind of live by the proverb: customers first, employees second, and revenue will take care of itself. My board used to hate that, but. If you do that, and, and, and so if you're going to put your customers first, you need to be always be learning, right? Mm -hmm. What are they living through? What are they going through? What are they experimenting with? So you can encourage your team, right, to change. Because if you stay stagnant, you know, you and I could probably list the companies that we know of off the top of our head that stayed stagnant and, and, and they don't exist anymore. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of them earlier. <laughs> uh, so incredibly important. All right. I'm looking at the clock and realizing that we've had such a good conversation. We could probably keep talking forever, but I'm going to 
fit in a couple more quick questions and okay. then we'll close out. So here at CFS, we talk a lot about sales playbooks. We are a sales playbook organization and we are always looking for useful tips and ideas that people can share in their own playbooks. So do you have any actionable tips that our listeners might consider adding to their playbook? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'll put, I'll say speed to blank. I don't, I don't, whether you use my technology or something else to make sure that your sales team, your playbook is built for speed. It has to, you have to engage as you and I have talked throughout this 45 minutes when the buyer is, is interested and that requires speed and agility. Um, do not say I built this great, great, great process. And as long as we follow this process, it may take two weeks, but boy, we will really be, you know, <laughs> thoroughly enabled to talk to our buyer because the, there'll be, there'll be no one to talk to. Yeah. So speed to blank. They'll Marketing, sales, inside sales demo, you name it, speed to blank. Love it, love it, love it. That is so important. All right. So, Greg, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where do you want them to go? So, please go to Amadim. And by the way, uh, that's my demo spelled backwards. So, if you struggle with spelling it, it's O M E D Y M dot com. And, uh, all our demos, everything we do, as you can imagine, are right out there. All my contact information is there along with my team. Please come learn and, and give us some feedback on what you think. Love to hear from you. Definitely. Um, well, thank you so much for being here, Greg. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. You can find the notes for the show and resources for everything that we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod one six five. Remember to tune in next week when we will continue talking about adapting to changing markets. We'll have an internal conversation with the team on that. Um, should be a ton of fun for our listeners. In the meantime, make sure to stay tuned for Friday's inspirational episode where Natalia is sharing a great quote from Howard Baker. All throughout the month of July, we're continuing our focus on adapting to changing markets on the CFS blog. So make sure to stay tuned. And as a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions you'd like us to address, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are finding your shows. And while you're there, if you leave us a rating or a review, you will be our absolute favorite. This helps more people find the show and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Redick. Happy selling!